Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So this class um, is titled The Home. So God's design for the family. We have a lot of, of classes within our church where uh, we do things about parenting, where we do things about marriage. We've had a parenting and a marriage class within the last year, year and a half so far. So this class actually is not designed strictly to be a marriage class. It's not designed to be a parenting class. There will be elements of that as we go through it. So we're going to be talking about, you know, what's the role of your kids in our home from zero to 12 years old? What's the role of our kids from 13 to 18 within our home? What's the role of fathers? We're going to be going over some things that have to do with marriage and some things that have to do with parenting, like fatherhood, motherhood, uh, being a wife, being a husband. But it's not specifically just about those things. What I want you guys to take away from this class as we go through is God has designed us to have specific roles within the home. What we'll be going over is very heavily what are those specific roles within the home and where do we see that in the word and how do we live that out in our daily lives. So today's focus, if we're going to understand that God has given us roles within the home, roles as a husband, roles as a wife, roles as a mom, roles as a dad, we need to understand, one, what are roles? What does that consist of? And then two, why is it important for us to live out those roles? So that's what today's class is going to be. We're not even going to necessarily talk about the home today. All we're going to do is kind of lay a groundwork for just roles, understanding what roles are and how God has, has given us that pattern in his word. So I absolutely, and this is no shock to a lot of people in the room, I absolutely love football. My favorite team is Notre Dame, which is just a heartbreak year after year after year after year. We've won one national title in my lifetime, and I was not necessarily old enough to even to remember it. But I still love the game of football. On Saturdays, everything in our house is usually oriented around our family. Whenever we're going to do something, we're going to do something in regards to our family. And thankfully, I have a couple of kids that enjoy football as well. So I can also integrate football and watching Notre Dame on a Saturday with my family. Nine times out of ten today, that consists of me maybe watching a quarter or two and then going and doing something with my family and probably pulling out my phone every now and then to check on the score and things like that. But I still love football. One of the reasons I love football is my mind is kind of oriented towards like strategy and logic and things like that. I was in the Army for five years. I was an intelligence analyst in the Army. And with that, a lot of that was just strategy and logic of what route's going to be most dangerous for my guys to take when they're out on a convoy. Where's the danger zones for my guys when they're going out on the routes, things like that. But with football, what's interesting about it is everybody has a very specific role on the team. If you have a lineman trying to throw the ball, something has drastically broken down in your team. If everybody has their specific role and they play out their specific role, if the quarterback's where he's supposed to be, if the running back's where he's supposed to be, if the linemen are blocking where they're supposed to be, on the defensive side, if the, guys, if the defensive back is covering his receiver the correct way, if the linebacker is hitting the blitz in the right spots, things like that, things go well. Whenever those roles start to be abandoned or forgotten or not played out, things fall apart quickly. So we see, like, for example, if a long snapper or a snapper is snapping the ball, hiking the ball to the quarterback, if he doesn't do his role right, or he snaps that ball correctly to the quarterback, 
the entire rest of the play will fall apart. Because at that point, the quarterback's scrambling to get the ball. He has no idea where the defenders are. That snapper's going to be worried about the fact that he just missnapped the ball. It's not going to block. Everything falls apart in just one little thing because that one guy didn't fulfill his one role. The same can be said for the Christian home in general. So we all have roles given to us by God. When we study our role, and we practice our roles, and we live out our roles and understand our roles, we will have a more successful home, and we see a more successful home develop. More importantly, whenever we live out these roles, whenever we see a command by God in the word, these roles are given to us. We read it, we study it, we understand it, we dive into it deeply, and we dedicate ourselves towards living out these roles. We glorify God. We adorn the gospel when we do those things, when we are obedient. So my question is, what happens whenever we don't? Whenever we don't fill out or fulfill the roles that we've been given? Whenever we don't fulfill the roles, we have things like Genesis 3 happening. We have Adam and Eve disobeying God. Their role was to cultivate the garden, to glorify God and what they did, to have a relationship with God. They had one rule that they weren't allowed to break, and they broke it because they didn't fulfill the role that they were required. We have things like Cain and Abel happen, where they were sacrificing things to the Lord as a worship towards the Lord. You have one sacrificing a good sacrifice, the firstborn of his flock, unblemished, going towards the Lord. And then you have another one that's just sacrificing whatever lot or whatever uh, produce that he had, and it was unacceptable. And what results from that? A breakdown in, in the roles of what they were doing, jealousy, anger, the first murder, and sin. Or what about Lemek? Anybody remember Lemek? Lemek was the first example that we have of uh, polygamy within the Bible. Takes two wives, then kills a man, and instead of repenting about the death and the polygamy, he goes about bragging about the fact that if Cain is avenged, is avenged or avenged sevenfold, I'm avenged seventyfold, I believe is the line. Yeah, 77-fold. So he goes into bragging about his sin. He breaks down one part of his life. Everything else starts to fall apart behind him. Or what about Noah's sons? We know that as believers, we're called to honor our fathers and mothers. Even when we're out of the home, even when we're adults, we're still showed, told to show respect for our elders. We see Noah <laughs> get the covenant, and his first reaction is to go plant a vineyard and get drunk off the vineyard and then you have Ham who sees his father and his nakedness and being drunk and goes and tells his brothers instead of showing respect to his dad even though his dad's in sin he still chooses to go and get his brothers his brothers show the respect walk backwards into the tent with the cloak cover up Noah and the result of that by that role breaking down as sons to a father by that role breaking down Noah says that at this point Ham's descendants are going to be servants to Japheth and, I just drew a blank, Shem, yes, and Shem. What's interesting about that, then you also have Babel. They were told by Noah that they were supposed to go into all the earth and populate the earth. Instead, they all congregate in one location and start building the tower. So their role given by God to go and cultivate the earth was abandoned and walked away from. They chose to do their own thing, not obeying God. And the result of that is the confusion of the languages and everyone being forced to leave. So they're punished for that. What's interesting 
So all that happens in Genesis before Abraham's even called. So we see what the effects of not obeying our roles can be throughout our lives. So here's something I want you to do right now. I'm not going to come back to this until the very end of the class, so you have time to think about it. But I want you all to think of different biblical roles that you might think of or might see in the Bible. So just kind of have that in the back of your mind. I'm hoping this goes well. I'll call for them at the end. You have plenty. Of, this is a long runway, so somebody have a role by the end of the class. So today what we're going to do, we're not, like I said, we're not heavily going over just the home. We're going to go over one of my favorite passages of the Bible. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Titus 2. We're going to be going over Titus 2 and the different roles that we see in ages of life. So if you're filling it out, the first one is up there. I tried to underline everywhere that has a blank. So the first one is ages. Once somebody gets that open, or you can look at your handout, would somebody mind reading Titus 2, 2? Two, two. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So what do you see the role of older men within the body of Christ? You know, Big C Church, universal. What do we see older men are supposed to be within their roles? Not living for the next party. Yep, not living for the next party. So sober-minded, dignified. Mentors. Mentors, yep. Sound in love and in faith, steadfastness. So it's, it's expected of older men to be set apart and looked up to. They should be sound in faith and steadfast in their understanding of their beliefs, or in, in their beliefs. We should look to them for counsel as an example of how to live a Christian life through the experience of years of sound faith, sober-mindedness, and self-controlled behavior. That's not necessarily true for every man. A lot outside of the church live very different lives. I think all of us can probably think in our minds of somebody that's not living this way. However, praise the Lord, we have many examples of men that we can think of that are living out this way. So we're called to be, like I said, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. What I love about this passage is that they all just build off of each other. So the next one that we have is older women. Would somebody mind reading Titus 2, 3 through 4? So how do we see roles for the older women laid out for us here in Titus 2? I, I will not be offended whatsoever if you read the TV. Not gossips and lushes? Yes, not gossips. What else?
by luscious, I'm assuming you mean addicted to wine? Yeah. Okay. Reverent in behavior, what does that mean? You may give an example of what reverent behavior would be. Not to bring the culture in it, but are we talking about Karen here? So this would not be going out looking for a fight, going out looking for an argument. It would be somebody that you would, you would look up to. Somebody that, you know, the opposite of Karen, somebody that you would see on Facebook as an example of someone to, to strive after. What's this last one we see there? Encouraging and delivering. Yes. Being a leader for women. Mm-hmm. Being a leader for women, younger women. It's the beautiful thing about the church is, you know, we're not called to be Lone Ranger Christians. We're not called to, you know, like the, the monks in the Middle Ages that would stand on top of, like, the pole or live their life on top of the pole, like, dedicating their time to prayer and, you know, meditating on, on God, but they had no connection with anybody. That's not what we're called to do. It's a beautiful thing about the church. We're called to be within the body so we can encourage one another. So, you know, when people are going through trials and struggles, we can raise those people up. We can pray for those people. We can come alongside those people and just listen. Like here, encouraging younger women. They can come alongside younger, older women can come alongside younger women and really help disciple them, teach them what it means to be a wife, teach them what it means to be a a mother. You know, that's the reason that, it's the reason that the church is the way it looks like. There's not just, you know, a church for older women and then you know all the younger women go to this church if that were the case it'd, it'd be disastrous women that are struggling raising their kill, children disciplining their children would have no example to look to would have nobody to look to to see hey i'm i'm struggling with this behavior in my kid do you have any advice older women can give solid biblical biblical advice but they can also give experiential advice you know, I remember when so my kid was doing this. This is what we did. This is how we raised them to, you know, understand the word a little bit deeper, things like that. So younger women, somebody mind reading Titus 2, 4 through 5. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be revived. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> All right. Um, so, what do we see is the role of younger women within Titus two? To be taught and to learn. What else do we see? Yes, to love their husbands and children. To be kind. To be subject to their husbands. Workers from home. We'll get into that in a much later class. However, workers from home is one of the requirements we see here within the role. What that looks like, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into that later. But it'll be there. So what about younger men? Titus 2, 6 through 8, somebody. 
wise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing you will say about us. So what do we see for the younger men? They're going to have self-control. How fitting is it that that's the first first one on there? I think of younger men, and I think all of us think of younger men, and we don't think necessarily of self-control. We often think of, I think there's kind of a misconception where women are often thought of as emotional, but in reality we see men emotional and living off of emotion quite often. They're just not self-controlled. So what we see is that through all of these, we see that all of these are character traits that up until Christ calls us out of our darkness, that we just lean into hard. And these are all character traits that once we come to Christ, one, through, through just the grace and the love of the Holy Spirit, we start to identify within our lives to pull away from but then we also see that they are just completely countercultural quite often. It's things that we'll see. I mean, you might see them in a non-believer. However, it's so rare that it's not the standard. It's kind of the exception to the rule. We also have that they're supposed to be models of good works. So we're not, again, to be that lone ranger Christian. We're models of good works. We should be an example that can be looked to of doing things that are supposed to be done. Teaching with integrity, dignity, sound in speech. Where do we get those things from? If we're going to teach something, what do we have to do first? Learn. We have to learn it. We have to study it. So we should be constantly in the word if you're a younger man, constantly in prayer. But on top of that, it's not just, okay, check the box, I learned this. Check the box, I, I prayed about this. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. We apply it. That's where the good works comes in. So, bond slaves. So whenever we read Titus 2, 9 through 10, really a way that we can look at this is as employees, somebody working for somebody else. So would somebody mind reading... Titus 2, 9 through 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and anything they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything that um, they may adorn the doctrine of God are saved. So whenever we go into work on Monday, are we supposed to be argumentative with our boss, even if it's a really kind of questionable decision he's making? No. Are we supposed to be uh, difficult to be around because of that questionable decision? No. Are we supposed to make sure that our opinion is aggressively known because of that wrong decision or that questionable decision? No. Because of that questionable decision, are we supposed to be pilfering out all the office supplies that we can find? No. Why is that? Because 
let me ask you this way. Everybody in the office knows of that one person that does the exact opposite of all these things almost every single day. If you, being known as a believer, goes in and does all of these things every single day, what does that tell to the rest of your coworkers? That being a Christian is exactly the same as being a non-believer. I mean, when I started my current job three years ago, I walked into the building and one of the drivers walked up to me, shook my hand, said, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm the a-hole of the group. I was like, oh, this is how we're going to start, <laughs> this is how we're going to start the relationship, okay. I was like, okay, I'll just let it, it's, he's a driver, truck drivers are kind of known for that, so I was like, okay, whatever, went about it, went about the rest of the day, went about the rest of the week, went about the rest of the month. He did not prove himself wrong. <laughs> However, I did look, and I could see two or three different drivers, who when I met them, they were genuine. I talked to them. They asked about me. They asked about my family. I asked a bunch of different questions. They're the ones that come into my office almost every day and say, hey, how you doing? Do you have a good night? Do you have a good weekend? When's some Mondays? Things like that. We have decent conversations. And of the entire 22 guys that work with me at the office, I can identify two or three that I know are probably believers. And it's not because I've sat down with them and said, hey, what's your opinion on justification by faith? It's not because I sat down and said, hey, what does you know, Titus 2.2 say? It's strictly based off of how they live their lives, how they interact with other people, how they interact with that one guy that introduced himself to me that way. And it's drastically different than other drivers. So we're called to be submissive to our bosses. We're called to be well-pleasing. We're called to be not argumentative or stealing. We're called to have good faith when we're working. None of these things, though, I want to be cautious with this, none of these things say that in striving to be these things that we lead ourselves into sin just because the boss is telling us to do something. We can still stand our ground but not be argumentative. We can still be pleasing. We can still be submissive but not follow someone into sin. Does that make sense? This isn't saying just be a punching bag for bad guys. What this is saying is that we are to adorn the gospel in our daily lives. And by living out our role in this way as a employee, we're doing that. So why should we live out these roles? We've gone over already a lot of this text. So if we go back to Titus 5, that second half. So why do we obey these roles? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. We are called to live this way to eliminate any reproach on God's word. We are the representatives of God for those that have no idea who he is. If we're going to go out and say and claim that we are a believer in Christ, if we're going to go out and say that we believe in the inerrancy of the word, and we go out and live the exact opposite way of this, then we are not showing honor to God and his word. We see in verse 8, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Again, we see that the goal of our lives in these ways is to make sure that the gospel is not shamed or looked down on. 
So again, we go back to that bond server, that employee example. Let's say that the boss is telling you to do something illegal just to get by. My mind automatically goes to driving. It used to be that whenever you did logs, like you had to log everything. Now everything's electronic, so you can't cheat on it. But it used to be if you needed to get that load from point A to point B and you knew you weren't going to have that amount of time to get from point A to point B, you would call up the boss and say, I'm not going to get there. Are you okay with me, you know, flubbing my log a little bit? The boss would use, yeah, that's fine. That's illegal. That's very illegal. You get caught with that, that's a huge fine. That's possibly losing your license. But it was common. It was kind of what was expected, honestly. However, if we as believers, if somebody called into my office and said, hey, I'm not going to have enough time. I'm on a paper log today. What do you want me to do? If I tell them, hey, flub that log, just get the job done. What does that do to the gospel? If they know that they, everyone in my building, I'm pretty sure knows I'm a believer. What does that do to the gospel? When they tell me, hey, you know, boss man told me, flood my log. <laughs> Let's go to his church. You don't have any rules there. I mean, what, is, what does that say about the gospel? However, if you hold your ground and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to have to, no, you're going to have to come back. Just bring it back to the terminal. Get off the clock. I want you to lose your license. I want to break the law, more importantly. What does that say about the gospel? What does that say about your, your respect for the law, for the authority that God has put over us? But on top of that, your respect in God's law, in the authority that he has over you. I like the way that the king, <laughs> you're going to get a kick out of this, how the King James Version puts this. It says that, that he that is of the contrary part may be put to shame. Matthew Poole, in one of his uh, commentaries, says, that the adversaries of the truth may be, sh- may be shamed of their aspiring them, those that follow it, and of it. Or if you want another quote, John MacArthur puts, when Christians claim to believe God, or God's word, but not obey it, the word is dishonored. Or yet another quote, it's in your handout there. It's probably my favorite quote by him, but... Beg puts it this way, if I believe only what I want to believe in the Bible, then what I actually believe is in myself and not the Bible. At no point as a believer in Christ do we have the freedom or the ability to disobey what God has called us to do. That's literally the definition of sin. So, 10b says, adorning the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. We've already gone over that pretty heavily. And again, one of the supreme purposes of living a virtuous and God-fearing life is to make God's word look more attractive to those that need salvation. If you think about that workplace, who do you want to be around? Do you want to be around the guy that introduces himself himself in disparaging ways or do you want to be around the ones that come in every Monday and ask you how your weekend was that genuinely have a concern for you that whenever you come in on Monday and they say hey how was your weekend and you tell them oh, it was not good and they're like okay great and walk away no you want the ones you want to be around the ones that have a genuine care for you most importantly We should know and obey our roles because as Christians, we are called to obey God. 
Our love for God is shown through our obedience to his word in a fallen world. We see in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Another one, 1 John 2, 3 through 6, and by this we know that we have known him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, may we, or may, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Time we got. All right, we still have time. I also wanted to point out, I don't have a slide for it. I really didn't think I'd have time by the end of it. <clears throat> but I also want to point out that having roles is not unique to the creation. Like we, We're made in the Imago Dei, right? We're made in the image of God. <clears throat> we are not God. We will never be God. However, we're made in the image of God. We see in the Trinity that there's actually kind of indirect roles within the Trinity as we go about reading in the Word. We know that there's three parts of the Trinity of the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They all have distinct roles and functions within themselves. We see salvation. An example of this is in Titus 3, 4 through 7. We also have 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14. God the Father, he has the, the role or within salvation, God the Father has a role of the plan. In Titus 2, 3 through 4, and in 2 Timothy 1, 9. We see that the plan of God set into motion before the ages began. So Titus 3, 4. When the goodness of, and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And then 2 Timothy 1, 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling? Not because of works, but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. We have the Son's part of salvation is the implementation of this plan. So God in Titus two, or I'm sorry, Titus three and Second Timothy, we also see Christ, Jesus Christ, was the conduit that allowed for salvation. So Titus three six, whom He poured out, speaking of the Holy Spirit, on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. In Second Timothy one ten, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And finally, the Holy Spirit's role within salvation and how salvation is imparted, he's the administrator. So again, Titus in Titus and Second Timothy, we see that the Holy Spirit indwells those who or indwells those that receive salvation and wash and regenerate the believers. So Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing and regenerating and renewing us, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1, 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So we see even within the Trinity, who works together perfectly in every way, there are roles set out that they're following. 
and that we often find it hard to fulfill the roles that we're given. It's because of sin, it's because of selfishness, it's because of pride often, but we're, we're still called to follow these roles. Anybody have any questions on just the roles there in Titus? All right, so over the next 12 weeks, this is the path that we're going to take. Week two, so next week, we're going to be going over what are the difficulties of a fallen world. So we're going to go over heavily what happened. Why is it hard for us to have a peaceful, calm home when we clearly have these roles? We just have to live within these roles. Why is it hard for us to live out these roles? So we're going to go over basically Genesis 3 and what happened to cause it cause difficulties within the, the home. Week three, we're going to be actually watching a sermon. Anybody want to guess who it's by? Anybody? Alistair Begg. I promise you I tried so hard to find another one, but I just couldn't find one that I like more than Beggs. So. <clears throat> but you know, I'm still going to, so that might change. If I can find another one, by another, because I want to introduce everyone to really good, solid preachers that we can go to. But um, right now we're going to be watching a sermon called God Gave Them Up. It's going to be a kind of a biblical worldview uh, sermon. And the reason I picked that one and the reason we're going over a biblical worldview is kind of, I don't, don't want the class to be heavily focused on the culture. I want it to be strictly focused on the word. But I think that it's important for us, if this is about the home and how we raise our home, how we fill the roles in our home, we need to understand what it is that's attacking the home at this time. And so this sermon goes over really well, that passage in Romans where it says God gave them up and what that means, what that looks like. Um, Beg does a great job, not only of just explaining that, but also how do we lovingly go to the world with this information so he doesn't just leave it at, you know, the culture's attacking us and, you know, run away or, you know, fight. It's how do we reach the world knowing this? Then we're going to go over the basics. What are the basics of the home? Week five and six are both going to be on men because we need a lot of work. So we're going to go over men pretty heavily. It's also because there's a heavy burden on men within the home. So we're going to make sure that we have that because the linchpin went over this in the, the men's conference. But I honestly believe as men go, so go the culture. If we relinquish some of our roles, if we relinquish some of our responsibilities, things start to crumble. Then week seven, we're going to be going over the roles of women within the home. Week eight, we're going to watch another video. It's called Eight Essential Vitamins. It's by Tommy Nelson. If you know Tommy Nelson, probably one of the most down-to-earth but very sound preachers you'll, you'll meet. Or not meet, but hear. Um, that Eight Essential Vitamins is kind of, that'll be the, the heaviest on parenting that we get to. What it is is he walks you through just eight things to watch out for and look for in, in parenting your kids. It's really good. The God gave them up. We'll have a little runway, so we'll be able to have a little discussion. That eight essential vitamins, I'm actually going to have to cut off about 10 minutes of the sermon because it's a long sermon. So that one, I'm going to start it on time. And when it ends, I'm just going to end us in prayer. If you want to have discussion, feel free to stay and discuss. Come up and talk to me and discuss, but you're going to be dismissed after that, after the sermon actually ends. Week 9, we're going to be going over what are the roles of our children from 0 to 12. Week 10... We're going to be going over 13 to 18. And then uh, week 11, we're going to be going over what's the role of singles within the home, people that 
are married or have that amazing gift from God to be single. Um, we'll go over what that looks like for them. Week 12, we're going to be going over, we're calling it family supports. So what's the role of the church within your home? What's the role of schools within your home? What's the role of your mom and dad and your in-laws within your home? We're going to be going over things like that. And then the final one is just week 13 is going to be a review. So we'll come in, we'll go over high level really quickly what all we went over. If there's any questions, if there's anything you want to you know discuss or anything like that, it'll be pretty relaxed, open forum, <coughs> discuss whatever you guys want to. So that's what, that's what the plan is. Thank you.